You know, I don't say much about the, the opening prayer of the liturgy the, called the Collect of the Day, but this was a good one. And one of the things that it says in the petition, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity. And when they say gifts, we say gifts, we mean all of us receive the gifts, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity at our baptism. And they're called in the church's theology the infused virtues. All of us possess those. And the, we are now empowered through the Spirit of God to express them in the world. And when we think about charity, of course, we ma maintain the traditional word in English that was uh, in the, uh, is in the authorized version of the, of the Bible. Uh, charity means love. We often say faith, hope, and love because we understand that better in many ways. But faith, hope, and charity uh, has to do with the same kind of love, the love that is loved without regard for the loveliness of the object towards which that love is directed. And so we get little hints and reminders of that in the liturgy uh, from Sunday to Sunday. I want to preach this morning uh, briefly on the reading from uh, Deuteronomy and on the Gospel from Matthew. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we have uh, a famous uh, section called the Summary of the Law, which we often say at the beginning of the liturgy in the penitential rite. And in the reading from Deuteronomy, we have some questions that get raised for us about uh, God's intention and God's will and how we understand what that might mean. Moses is on... Mount Nebo. Uh, Ernest Cockrell said at 9 o'clock today, he said, what's described here in the Bible is a, re is a real place. You can stand on this and see all of the places that are described in this reading. One of my favorites is Mount Pisgah. There's a, there's a, t a town in North Carolina, someone said to me, uh, called Mount Pisgah, North Carolina, and I guess that's one of the places I've driven around in the wilds of Equatorial California and seen Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. It's interesting to me to be, why would you name it Mount Pisgah? It's just, it's just a curiosity that I have about all that kind of thing. But Moses is on the mountain and God tells him, it may come strange to us, you know, we don't read it a lot. All of a sudden he said, well, here's, here's the promised land. He's showing him the great vista. And he said, you will not go into the promised land. You're going to die here. And we think, well, why, why is he doing this? He's praised Moses for all the things that he's done. Well, in, uh, the, in Leviticus, it says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And I suspect that has something to do with the golden calf episode. <laughs> right? Aaron caves. Uh, uh, gives in to a failure of nerve and uh, lets the people build the golden calf and worship it while Moses is on the mountain. And God said, you better get down there and sort this because I want to destroy these people. 
That's a side of God you and I don't want to emphasize or talk about a great deal. And I still believe what I say all the time, and that is when God's judgment confronts God's mercy, God's judgment, God's mercy trumps God's judgment. So Moses goes down there with the very thing that he was going to bring in lieu of a golden calf, and that was the law, the tablets to bring down. And we have to make a new start. So the question we ask is, or I do anyway, is if I've been attempting to uh, live a a faithful life and been obedient, uh, let's just sort of put it in in a smooth, general way, to be the best human being that I can be and to uh, say my prayers and do what I do. Uh, And then the result is going to be different than I thought it would be or should be, right? So how do I put that together and understand something about uh, God? Martin Luther King Jr. alluded to this passage in the sermon he preached the night before he was assassinated. I can see the promised land, he said. I may not get there with you. But I can see the promised land. And so maybe in some sense that's, that's an important thing. When we look at, uh, we do some sort of a, uh, a self-examination. You know, you've heard before people saying the examined life, unexamined life is not worth living. We need to have some understanding of who we are and so forth. And sometimes to realign our priorities. Uh, In the Episcopalian 101 class yesterday, we talked about forgiveness. And I told the class about watching a YouTube video by a famous Buddhist named Jack Cornfield, who said... um, Learning how to do these things and understanding God's will, he didn't say God's will directly, is that you have to abandon all hope of having a perfect past. Abandon all hope of a perfect past. And so in some way, a lot of what uh, we think in our own world is that the past is prologue, right? Also, that's what we think. So I repeat myself again and again, the problem with the past being prologue is that the same cause has paradoxical effects. A child raised in a scrupulously neat family will either be a neatnik or a slob or something in between. The past is not predictive of future results. So Moses, in the main, was obedient to God. This is also part of the great narrative of the Hebrew Bible. God chooses, let's say, Abraham. And Abraham, through faith, follows God and does this. And then he just messes up. And so God chooses somebody else. And they go for a while, and then they mess up. And God chooses someone else. The lesson for this, of course, is that God never leaves. God is always faithful. God remains constant. 
And that as people of faith, we believe and trust. You know, the Abraham would have used the word immuna for faith, which is trust. I trust that God is going to be with me in the course of all of what I go through here. And so did Moses. And so does Moses. But he still didn't get into the promised land. I think most of us would like to dictate the terms of how we do that. And this is a a lesson about that. I'm not so concerned about the judgmental side of this, merely that uh, God's ways are not our ways. And uh, once in a while, it's good to remind ourselves that that is the case. In Matthew's Gospel, we have the Matthew version of the summary of the law. And what Jesus has done here is to connect two prayers that uh, are part of the Hebrew outlook, the Hebrew religion. The most important one is the first. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And every pious Jew in the world says this prayer every day. It's called the Shema. And then he attaches to it another prayer from uh, Leviticus. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Reginald Fuller, who was one of the greatest Anglican biblical scholars of the 20th century. He died uh, just about six years ago. Says about this passage, without love of neighbor, the love of God remains a barren emotion. And without the love of God, the love of neighbor is but a refined form of self-love. The obstacles to this saying this are that most people today, we live in a culture which is not new, but it has various iterations over history. And we live in a culture that believes in the triumph of the autonomous self as being the highest good, right? Be all that you can be. Uh, Don't join the army necessarily, but you know what I mean. About two years ago, I was walking over to Sur La Table. Uh, I'm interested in cooking, and I have a lot of cooking stuff, more than I should. And one of these times, I went over there, and uh, I left my credit card there, and the clerk called the parish office and said to Pam, Father Brewer has left his credit card here. Would you please tell him to come over and get it? But as I was crossing the street, uh, a woman came across crossed by me uh, wearing a t-shirt that said, it's all about me. (laughs) Now, one of the things about all this is that there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty. There are groups and people in our culture and earlier who have had to learn how to uh, become more autonomous in their self. And it's the right thing for each one of us to have the right kind of self-regard. Because if you do, you will have the interior emotional, spiritual, and mental strength to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of you on a daily basis. Because you'll know yourself. But there's a kind of uh, 
autonomous self-behavior that is uh, what in the recovery movement they call opera singing. I, 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 me, me, me. <laughs> and that's not what we mean when we talk about the, the autonomous self and why it's important. And so it's always necessary to have some idea of what that means when we say that. Uh, it's not bad to be driven by your self-interests, but it's always coupled with love of neighbor, you know. Christianity is about cultivating within each of us the generous impulse. And most of the time when we talk about the difficulties that we face or the suffering that we go through are not the result of the great and grand issues, you know. I mean, all of us know people who have learned how to be a professional victim and continuously talk about what's been done to them. But we're, we're talking about most of us having to confront on a daily basis ordinary suffering, being in a traffic jam for two hours. That's suffering. You know, it may not be having cancer, but it's the kind of thing that sort of drip, drip, drip. And the question is, how do you, uh, how do you move through that and be able to continue the rest of the day with some emotional equilibrium, you know? It's an important thing to learn how to do. And one of the ways that we can do it is to know that God remains faithful. God is not a cutter and a runner. We may cut and run for a while and come back, cut and run again, but God is always there. God is always present to us. The tradition that we come out of, the great narrative of the Hebrew Bible and then the Christian scriptures, talk about a people who are haunted by a presence. The presence of God, and they can't shake it. And they try to get away from it, and then they come back, and they try to get away from it, and then they come back. And all of a sudden, they come to the realization that God is there. God is there for us and unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us. So this week, give thanks for that great and powerful truth. Amen.